Well, this past summer, one of the things I got to do was I got to go back home to Chicago and actually went with a friend of mine. His name is Caleb. He's one of our youth leaders here. And uh, normally when I go back to Chicago, it's to see my folks, and they live out in the suburbs, so I don't really get downtown a whole lot. But Caleb and I had the opportunity to go downtown and be like tourists downtown. It was really cool. And the neat thing was that as I was downtown Chicago, I really found myself falling in love with Chicago again. I was like, oh yeah, this is my city. This is where I'm from. Caleb is a baseball fan, and I grew up as a Cubs fan. So one of the things we did is we planned our trip to be able to go see a Cubs game. And I got to admit, it's been years since I've seen the Cubs. So I got really excited. The weather ended up being perfect in early July, which is a miracle in of itself in Chicago. So we go to Wrigley Field, and we get these amazing seats. I bought a new t-shirt and another hat. I was so excited to be in Chicago, to be at Wrigley Field to watch the Cubs. And then an even greater miracle happened. The Cubs won, (laughs) which was impressive. And uh, for those of you who are Twins fans, this is exactly the same feeling, right? You're like, what? This is impossible. This never happens. What are the odds that it would happen when I was there to see it? It was so cool. And uh, watching the Cubs win, it, it like made me even more of a fan. You, you know how that feeling is? It's, it's like the optimism that you have in May. This is going to be the year that the Twins are going to go all the way. You like, suddenly you're optimistic, um, even when you aren't about other things. You just get excited, right? I got back from the Cubs game and I was spending the rest of the week with my parents. And I asked my dad the next day, could we put on the Cubs game? I mean, it's local. We should be able to watch it. So we figured that out. My dad and I started watching the Cubs, and they won again. I was getting more excited. I, like, told my phone to alert me of what the score was for the Cubs. I was, like, becoming a true fan. Like, I started to know who the players were. But then something regular and expected happened. The Cubs began to lose. They lost, but it was close. Sometimes it was oftentimes in overtime and extra innings. And so it was always close. I was like, man, maybe they'll pull it next time. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. But then they lost another game. Then they lost really badly when they went to L.A. Uh, the Los Angeles Angels whooped them. And uh, slowly, over time, my passion, this newfound passion I'd had again, started to wane. You know, I wasn't at Wrigley Field. Eventually, I came back to Minneapolis. I wasn't around fellow Cubs fans. My passion for the Cubs began to fade. My fervor of fandom for the Chicago Cubs began to dissipate over the coming weeks as I had no one to share in the hope that they might win again. You know, the same thing might happen to you. You remember when you were a student and you went to camp, you went on a mission trip and you got excited for God. Or for those of you who have kids or you are students and you went to camp this summer, you went on a mission trip and you got excited for Jesus. And you came back and you were like ready to realign your life around reading your Bible more, praying, sharing Jesus with your lost friends, and you were excited. You were ready to go. But then what inevitably always happens, it seems, right? That camp high, that spiritual high that we're on seems to fade. That even though we're reading our Bible and we're praying and we're just not around those same people in that same environment and eventually our passion sometimes begins to fade over time. The distance from that experience that we had begins to wear off and our faith seems to wane with it. You know, we're in good company because something similar seems to have happened to the disciples 
as you look at Scripture. Notice that while they're with Jesus and walking around with him for three years, they get, they get excited sometimes, and then when things aren't so well, they're, they're not excited. But they're super excited to do what Jesus has asked them to do. They believe that they are ready for his kingdom to come. Jesus triumphantly enters Jerusalem, but then Jesus is captured. He goes through this trial uh, that's clearly rigged, and he is being condemned to death. And we find the disciples running for their very lives. We find them hiding. We probably would have joined them. But then a short time later, these very same men and women are standing up to the very Jewish leaders that had condemned Jesus to death, and they are boldly proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Well, what happened? What's different? Why are suddenly the disciples ready to face adversity? Are they simply on a spiritual high? I don't think so. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus' own words, he says this, but then you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Friends, I believe the disciples, they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It's a passage we don't look at a whole lot. And the transformation in the lives of the disciples is so significant and so earth-shattering that it brings up various strange questions and statements from those around them early in the book of Acts. Notice this. They were accused of being drunk at 9 a.m. as an explanation for their behavior. People questioned if these were the same unlearned men from Galilee that had been with Jesus. What's the point? The disciples were almost unrecognizable. People are like, I think these are the same guys that are with Jesus, but they're totally different. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We often think that our faith and our lives would be far better if Jesus were here present with us. And let's be honest, I think that comes from a good place. We want to spend time with our Savior. We're like, man, wouldn't it be great if Jesus were walking around today? Wouldn't it be great if he could tell me what I should be doing right now, today? Wouldn't it be great if God sent me an email? That would be really nice. There's just some really details. Here's an update for what you should do, for what you need to know. And I think, again, that comes from a good place. We want to be with Jesus. We want to hear from him. That's a good thing. But how interesting that Jesus himself said that the disciples were far better off if he left. In John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. A book I read this summer... uh, From Jim Cimbala, a pastor in a church in New York City, he writes, How many Christians suffer from a spiritual life that is dry and mechanical? How many serve Jesus that they know about in the Bible, but not as a reality in their experience? We might ask questions like, how do I have peace that can only come from God? How do I experience that today? How do I become conformed into the image of Christ to become more like him? How can we know as a church that we're following and doing what God has for us? How can I grow in my faith? The more I look through scripture, the more I see such a key work of the Holy Spirit's presence and indwelling in our life as an answer to each of those questions. 
We can be conformed in his spirit because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. We become more like Christ. We get that peace that passes all understanding and can't be explained because of what the Holy Spirit does. We can know as a church what we're supposed to do because the Holy Spirit is guiding us and leading us. Friends, this morning I want to open up to Ephesians chapter 6, and you can follow along with me. Ephesians chapter 6. This is a passage that um, we love to work with with kids and youth because it's the armor of God passage. Uh, and it's very relatable for kids. They love it. Uh, I'm actually not going to use that part. Sorry if you were looking forward to it. I'm um, actually look at the last two verses, verses 18 through 20, where Paul summarizes up this passage. Uh, I'll just love what he has to say in Ephesians 6, uh, verses 18 through 20. He writes this. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So what, why did I open us up here? Why are we looking at this passage? Well, let's break it down. Uh, first off, I see the first thing that Paul wants us to do is to follow the Spirit's prompting to pray. Follow the Spirit's prompting to pray. Notice that he says in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now I think if you've been at church for just a little while, you may have noticed that prayer is something that we're encouraged to do. Prayer is quite simply talking to God, telling God what's on our hearts, asking things from him. We're supposed to, as the scriptures say, boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need. And that's true. But notice here that Paul says that we're to pray at all times in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is when we are prompted, when we are led to pray. Sometimes God says, I need you to pray for someone else right now. And he prompts us to do that. And so often we look to do prayer when it's expected. Maybe it's before a meal or before you go to bed at night, or you expect on a Sunday morning for people up on the platform to pray. And that's all well and good, but what about in the hallways and in between the rows after church or on a Thursday? Do we look for opportunities to pray even when we're not expecting it? You know, one of my favorite things that happened this past summer was I had, um, before I even went on sabbatical, I had our youth leaders over to our house. We had a barbecue to thank them for all the work they had done. And after all of them had left, but one couple, we were in our, in our kitchen after everyone else had left, and they asked me, they said, how, how can we pray for you, Jason, on your sabbatical? And they laid hands on me and prayed for me. When no one else was looking, there were no spotlights, there was no one else to notice but my wife and I to be there to, to be prayed for. And that was significant to me because it was unexpected. It was impromptu. It was at the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'll also never forget, uh, during youth group, a number of years ago, I was in the back of the youth room, and I, was, I like to ask some of our leaders and our students how they're doing, and I asked one of our students, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And then they ratcheted up the question rather than saying, how are you? You know how that is, I've got to exchange pleasantries. And they said, how can I pray for you, Jason? And I was like, whoa, I had a student asking me how they could pray for me. 
And it was such a sweet moment. It wasn't up in front of all the youth group to see. It was just in the back. It was just impromptu moments from my standpoint that were prompted by the Holy Spirit. And friends, I want you to know that likewise the Spirit wants to move in you to pray for one another. One of the most important moments that might happen this morning might happen down at donut time when someone else asks you, how can I pray for you and can we pray right now? Paul says in Romans 8, 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Friends, we need the Spirit in our prayer. We need his promptings to pray, and he also is, of course, praying for us. Secondly, I see in Ephesians 6 that we are to be obedient to the Spirit's leading to speak. Notice in verse 19 that Paul says that words may be given to me in opening of my mouth. We're to be obedient to the Spirit's leading to speak. When I was in Chicago, I could have easily taken a flight home because Caleb had went home uh, well before I did while I spent time with my parents. But I said, you know what? I'm on sabbatical. I can get my six-foot frame crammed into an airplane at all sorts of other times. I'm going to take the Amtrak, where they actually have legroom. And so uh, I got on a train. It's going to take it all the way back up to Minneapolis here home. And I was like, this is exciting. And then, of course, the train got delayed for several hours because... They lost a wrench or something. I'm not sure why. I was like, oh, I think I know why people fly. Um, but I was looking forward to sitting on the train, putting some music in my ears, and just looking at the countryside out the window. I was so excited for that. And then the person next to me, when we finally got on the train, started talking a conversation with me. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I felt the Lord say, great, now talk to him and tell him about me. So we talked for hours. I got to hear about his story, about why he moved to Chicago, who he was, what was going on in his life. And I asked him about church and his, what did he believe and his faith. And he'd had a faith background. So I asked him more about that and talked about that. And we talked about what it meant to follow Jesus and why church community was so important. And it was a sweet moment that even though I didn't feel at the moment like talking to him and if you know me, you know I'm an introvert and uh, you know, I don't look for opportunities just to talk to people uh, out of the blue. But it was a God-ordained moment to talk to him. Also, earlier this summer, I was on an airplane. And of course, the Lord has a sense of humor. Uh, he put me next to a teenager, which are the people I talk to the most, usually. Um, they're also some of the people I feel most comfortable talking to at different times over the years. And so I got to turn to him and talk to him about where he was at, where he was going, what church experience he had, and I actually got to talk to him about the gospel. I got to talk to him about what it meant to be forgiven of your sins. Again, another Lord-ordained moment. And I have to admit, I didn't feel like any of those conversations went particularly well, but I was obedient to what God was asking me to do in those moments. I followed the Lord's prompting. You know, Peter says that whoever speaks should speak as one speaking to oracles of God. And again, I would encourage you that even when you're down in donut time, even when it's a Tuesday and you're at Target and you bump into someone else from church, that would be a great opportunity to follow the Lord's leading and say, man, how can I encourage someone with the words that I've been reading in my devotions this week? How can I speak truth into their lives? God, give me opportunities to speak to your people or speak to people who don't know you at all. And then thirdly, I notice this in what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. We're to surrender to the Spirit's will and work 
in your life. Surrender to the Spirit's will and work in your life. Notice that he says in verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains. You're like, I didn't see the word surrender in there at all. Hang on. So Paul sees himself as an ambassador. This means he sees himself as someone who represents God. That's a life calling that Paul feels to be true in his life. He's living it like that. It's like you could have said missionary, and we've all been like, oh, I know that churchy word that's missionary. But he calls it an ambassador. An ambassador represents, they speak on behalf. He's representing God, speaking on behalf of God. Where does God lead Paul, even though he's an ambassador? In prison. He's in chains. So you know that Paul is surrendered to what God wants to do in his life because he's like, I represent God and I'm in chains. You know, like, and he's not seeing that as a detriment. He's seeing that as an opportunity to do what God wants him to do. Now church, I want you to know that today's sermon is not simply a reflection on just a few months of prayer. It's not just from like a post-sabbatical high, I don't believe. But I see today what God has put on my heart as a milestone of the pursuit of God over years in my life. Let me explain. While in various churches or camps or ministries over the years, God has always managed to bring people into my life who challenged what I thought or assumed to be true about the Holy Spirit's role. These godly men and women have always pointed me back to Scripture and said, have you, have you read what the Bible says to be true about the Holy Spirit? However, for years, I could never reconcile what I saw to be in the Bible with my experience in church or my experience at camp or my experience in any number of Christian circles. I always felt like I was observing from the outside, like someone who didn't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Maybe I was a little too afraid to actually lean in, to ask him to show up. And maybe I was skeptical of if I did that, what would happen? What would happen if I believed that he was active and available in today's day and age. And in fact, in church, you may know this as well, it can be easy to leave him out of conversation, to not talk about the Holy Spirit, to not ask what he's doing, or simply to attribute the things that are true about that member of the Trinity to the Father or the Son. When I consider how much we try to accomplish within church and the ministries we are all involved in, I think so often it seems like we're trying to do things in our own strength, if we're being really honest. And yet God asks us to rely on him, to be dependent on him. We want to accomplish things for God. We want so desperately for it to happen that we say, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to do it. We can make it happen. There are too many of us who walk in confidence or sometimes a lack of confidence in our own abilities rather than in dependence on the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. I think too often, too many of us, if we're being honest, walk in the confidence or lack of confidence in our own abilities, depending on our own abilities rather than on God. We attribute with some mental affirmation of the belief of what God wants us to do, but then come Monday, we find ourselves more shaped by the world 
than by the word. This has, in fact, been me, if I'm being honest. Too often, more often than I care to admit. If I can be really honest with you for a minute, three years ago, my wife got the call that she was diagnosed with cancer. And that's a terrifying and awful thing to hear your wife say through sobs over the phone at the age of 32. It was an awful road to walk. And so many of you here at First Free have been there for both of us and provided for us in really practical ways. And I should note, in case there's any confusion, that she's doing well now. She's a great report from our oncologist. And we feel very blessed by our Heavenly Father that she is a survivor and she's a clean bill of health. But I have to confess, friends, that while I often had a smile pasted on my face, while you so gently asked me how she was doing, that deep down, I wasn't okay. To be clear, there wasn't anything more that anyone here could have done for me. There was nothing more that my counselor could have done for me, even though it was great to have someone professional to talk to. What was wrong was between God and me alone. If I'm being honest, I was a little bitter towards God. And I was resistant to what he might want to accomplish in my life as a result of this difficult road. And I knew I wasn't in a good place. I knew I wasn't being surrendered to what God was trying to do in my life. I didn't know what to do with it. I regret to say that I resisted the work of the Holy Spirit as I walked with M through her battle of cancer. I allowed the whispers of the enemy to become more what I believed. And even as I began to recognize that they were the lies of the enemy, I unintentionally believed that I had to be the one to tell myself the truth. I had to rout out the enemy's lies in my life and in my heart. I had to correct the course by my own strength. I wouldn't have consciously said it in those words, but that's what was going on. And by not surrendering to the Holy Spirit, I really believe that I dragged out the pain and the discouragement and the half-truths and the bitterness because I was trying by my own strength to deal with what I needed to depend on the Holy Spirit to accomplish in my life. I wonder what sort of testimony I might be able to share with you today had I bent my knee and surrendered to what God was trying to accomplish in my life through that difficult road. And maybe you can relate this morning. Maybe there is something that has been going on in your life and you are struggling to bend your knee to what God wants to accomplish. You believe in God. You know he's real. You love him. You, but ah, this one area is just, it's become too hard to bend the knee. I get it. But it made it so much worse for me over time especially as I had that smile pasted on my face. It was so difficult. You know, C.S. Lewis writes, the human spirit will not even begin to try to surrender self-will as long as all seems to be well with it. Pain is unmasked, unmistakable evil, and every man knows something is wrong when he is being hurt. He later says, we can rest contently in our sins and in our stupidities, and anyone who has watched gluttons shoveling down even the most 
exquisite foods as if they did not know what they were eating will admit that we can even ignore pleasure. But pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Friends, my take-home point for you this morning is that you and I should surrender control to the Holy Spirit so he can form in you the likeness of Jesus Christ, making room for his work in and through you and stirring up a greater hunger for him. That we would surrender control to him to do what only he can do because he want, if we can make room for him, he wants to stir things up in us and work through us in ways that we can't even realize. I heard a song this week. I was playing some different worship songs on YouTube. And this one, the words really caught me. They sang, here is where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. Have your way, Jesus. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. I wonder how many of you, like me, need to make room for the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do. Make room in your heart for him. Make room in your mind for him. Make room for him in your day. I know so many of us are so busy. That might mean we need to say no to something else so that we have space for God to do the work that we need so desperately for him to do in our lives. He is waiting for each of us to surrender to him, to hear his prompts, to lay hands on someone else and pray for them, to speak a bold word of truth even when it makes us uncomfortable, to listen to the truth of his word instead of the lies of the enemy who desperately wants a seat at our table, to step out in faith, to follow him instead of following the ways of the culture and the world around us to which we are so want to do. I love what the prophet Habakkuk says in chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And that's my prayer. I desperately want to see the Lord show up today, to show up in my life, to make me into who he wants me to be, to use me in the ways that he wants to use me. And I hope you want the same thing. In a minute here, uh, the worship team's gonna come back up and lead us in a time of worship. And I wanna encourage you that maybe if the Holy Spirit is leading you to, that you would come forward and pray. Not that there's anything special about coming to the front of the sanctuary to pray, but that you would be obedient to whatever the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do. And maybe that means finding someone at donut time and talking to them and asking them specifically to pray for whatever it is you're going through. But don't leave this morning here without doing whatever God has asked you to do. Because I wonder how many of us are allowing the enemy to whisper words of complacency, doubt, and fears, dousing our passion and dulling our hunger for him. How many of us need to stir up a passion again for Jesus to increase our hunger 
and our thirst for our Lord and Savior and desperately trust him for everything that we need. I would encourage you that even while this, the worship team is leading you, if you feel led to get up from your seat and come forward to be prayed for, if you're watching online, maybe you just type in the comments, I need someone to pray for me. And that would be the step that the Spirit is prompting you to take this morning.